Welcome to the podcast, Potables Network. You're listening to Power Bombs and Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can also follow us on Instagram and untapped at Process Potables. Uh, check out our other shows on Twitter at Process Potables uh, for the Sixers uh, and basketball talk, at Pucks PPN for our Flyers podcast, uh, and at Popcorn PPN for our movie podcast. A brand new episode of that should be dropping this week as well. For news, blog posts, info on upcoming breweries we've worked with, and so much more, check out www.processpotables.com. Well, we have a new NXT Women's Champion. I sit down with Joe from the Super Smart Brothers podcast to recap uh, NXT's takeover in your house. And the week that was, I discuss it on my own in pro wrestling news on this week's Power Bombs and Potables. And welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables, part of the podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates, and I'm your host uh, this week and every single week as we go over the week uh, that was in professional wrestling, news, and so much more. Obviously, tonight we just wrapped up NXT TakeOver in your house, and I'm going to be joined to uh, go over that. But before we do any of that, let's, let's do the little icebreaker. We're going to go over this week's news in pro wrestling on this week's Quick sips. And for this week's quick sips, I'm whew, drinking a Brotherton Brewing Company from Shamong, New Jersey. Uh, it is their Brotherton IPA. This thing clocks in at 6.6% ABV, and it's only available here in a 16-ounce Tallboy pint can. This beer is wonderful. I cannot express that enough if you get a hold of that make sure you pick up a four pack uh brotherton brewing they get a brother rating of 10 on this one on monday the wwe unveiled the free version of the wwe network the company's award-winning digital service uh unlocking a vast portion of its content library with more than fifteen thousand uh titles now available for free. The free version of the network includes new shows, including Raw Talk, uh, streaming Monday nights each week immediately following Raw, uh, groundbreaking original series, including The Monday Night War, Ride Along, Table for Three, Photo Shoot, and Storytime, recent episodes of WWE's flagship programs, Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown, as well as NXT, uh, some select historical WWE pay-per-view events and NXT TakeOver events, weekly WWE highlights, top tens, The Bump, WWE Now, the best of the WWE, and WWE Timeline. The launch of WWE Network's free version is a key component to our company's digitation strategy and a new way for our fans to be able to experience premium content. 
uh, said J.R. Donlin, WWE's Executive Vice President of Advanced Media. As we continue to reimagine WWE Network's offering, the free version will serve as an effective way to reach a broader group of consumers and allow them to experience the history and spectacle of WWE. Uh, as well as this was able for them to finally remove the free month uh, that they've been advertising since this uh, went up. So uh, no more first free month. You know, you get the free content or you pay and you get the live pay-per-views. I still think that the $10 a month is a great way uh, for you to get content through this company. Uh, as seen during this week's edition of Monday Night Raw, Gronk lost the WWE 24-7 Championship to R-Truth. According to reports from Wrestling Inc., Gronkowski is leaving the WWE for now. According to the report, a release clause was ex exercised that frees Gronkowski of any future obligations with WWE. The report also states that the release does, n does come with a no-compete clause. However, the length of said clause was not revealed. Uh, Dave Meltzer on the Wrestling Observer Radio this week said that Gronkowski's deal had him set to work three events this year, as seen uh, already on WrestleMania 36. Gronk was uh, originally the host for that show and became the 24-7 champion during the second night of the event. According to the report, the other two events he was booked for was SummerSlam in August and then the WWE's return to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which was planned for later this year. Gronk is scheduled to return to the field for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this NFL season. Arn Anderson has signed a new multi-year deal with AEW. AEW posted a video Wednesday night after Dynamite uh, going over the new contract signing. Arn says, about a year ago, I said, I don't want to be anywhere where I'm not wanted. And that's the way I felt. A year later, it seems I am wanted somewhere, and I am very happy to say today I signed a multi-year contract with AEW. I am absolutely thrilled to be here with all this young talent and watch this company blossom into being the platinum of all of our industry. The next coming years is going to see some changes. We're going to mix some of the old with the new. I think the product is just going to shine as a result of it. I couldn't be happier. Tony Khan gave me the news today and I've been smiling all day. So it's a great day for me. Thank you so very much. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm glad to have Double A there. I didn't know that he was only on a uh, couple of month uh, deal, but glad that he's sticking around um, the combination with Cody I am a fan of so we'll see how that works uh, eventually I'd like to see Cody turn heel and then have Arn as a heel manager I think that would be chef's kiss on the icing on the top of that cake according to the Wrestling Observer newsletter uh, despite WWE hinting during their TV broadcast that all talent was being tested for COVID-19 last week the only testing done for, was for temperature and asking how the WWE staff were feeling some within the WWE were shocked that this was the only type of testing being done considering the UFC found multiple people who passed temperature checks but then later tested positive for the coronavirus. Dave Meltzer's re uh, report that indicated that AEW had done multiple tapings where everybody was tested, implying that the AEW had been more stringent testing uh, than the WWE's temperature readings and asked if talent members had they felt unwell. Now, a couple weeks back, we discussed with Tony Schiavone uh, and the way he had gone into full detail about the testing. When you watch Dynamite, still every week, people are wearing the wristbands that they're doing after they test somebody uh, so that they know that they are cleared to enter the building for the Dynamite tapings every week. Uh, Fightful is also independently con confirming that the Observer's report on the testing for the talent. It notes that NXT talents were first tested and checked at Full Sail University 
They were then taken via a bus to the WWE Performance Center in Orlando for the Raw and SmackDown TV tapings. Well, not everyone was happy to see that Drake Maverick was rehired by the WWE this week on NXT. Immediately after NXT, uh, Leo Rush took to his Twitter to say the following. Man, are they going to just hire everyone back then? Kind of slap in the face to use this as a shoot work. But I guess I'm not surprised. Super happy for anyone getting their job back. But damn, Real Trauma and a lot of others were a part of this. I... We're going to get into that in a little bit later, but I, I can't help but agree with him there. On the subject of bringing employees back to WWE, it was reported that WWE recently began a number of new cost-cutting measures due to the coronavirus pandemic. Several top company of, uh, executives and officials were told last week that they would be receiving pay cuts. Uh, according to uh, a source, several producers and referees were also receiving pay cuts. Uh, some of the cuts are as high as 20%. According to Dave Meltzer, not all of the producers and referees had pays cut, uh, but most of them did. The ones who were affected had their pay decreased by 20%. So there you go, there's that. Uh, during the statement last month, uh, WWE announced that they would be making cuts and changes to the company's business in order to reduce costs and improve cash flow. This included reducing executive and board member compensation, decreasing operating expenses, cutting talent expenses, third-party staffing and consulting, deferring spend on build-out of the company's new headquarters for the uh, at least six months, and both furloughs and layoffs of a portion of their workforce immediately. Well, just as quick as he came back, uh, Jinder Mahal is already back out of action after undergoing another knee surgery this past week. Mahal announced that he underwent surgery to fix some knee issues in a post on his Instagram page uh, on, I believe, Thursday. Uh, he went on to say, Unfortunately, I had to go under the knife again to fix some knee issues. Mahal wrote, The journey has been a, has hit a speed bump, but I will be back and stronger than ever. Uh, clearly, Mahal didn't reveal what the injury is or how long he'll actually be out of action. And our final news piece for this week's Quick Sips, Jeff Jarrett uh, and his lawsuit against Anthem and Impact Wrestling is set to go to trial at the end of the month of June after attempts to settle uh, failed. Now, if you recall, several years ago, uh, Jeff Jarrett was running a company called Global Force Wrestling. At the time, he had come in and they started to do a merger with Impact Wrestling, at which point they decided that they were going to take his money so that they could keep broadcasting TNA and he was supposed to become a majority stake owner in the company. Well, like everything else, Dixie Carter pulled back out on that and it caused this entire uh, issue that we have here. According to PW Insider, the judge in the case denied Anthem's last attempt at a summary judgment on May 27th, uh, noting that the lawsuit was the second time in less than a year that the U.S. District Court was asked to handle issues related to the failed merger between Impact and GFW. Uh, the judge declined to dismiss this case, as Anthem asked, uh, noting that it had tentatively reached the conclusion that summary judgment would be inappropriate in the case they would likely turn to the jury's assessment of the credibility of Ed Nordholm. Anthem Wrestling's president, uh, Jeffrey Jarrett, and longtime professional wrestler and founder of global force entertainment in an interesting note the judge said that the previous legal cases have led to debate on whether pro wrestling is sport or entertainment and that the jury will have to decide which 
in regard to the issues in this case, whatever they feel wrestling is. And that's it for this week's Quick Sips. And uh, so we're going to not jump into the week that was, but first we're going to go over tonight and what we just watched, NXT's In Your House takeover event uh, that emanated from Orlando, Florida. And when we get back, we'll discuss the week that was in professional wrestling. Charlotte Flair said she wants to elevate her opponents. Well, she's been forced to elevate her game here. Figure four. Can she turn it into a finger eight? Ripley's legs so long, so strong. It's very challenging to get into this position. Oh, man, Charlotte Flair looking to make it two in a row against Rhea Ripley. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh. Shirai is NXT Women's Champion. Look out in your house. We're in your house tonight. We're coming at you in your house. And welcome back to Powerbombs and Potables. As you just heard at the top of that, uh, we have a new NXT Women's Champion. Much to my surprise tonight, uh, as we ended the show very early tonight, for NXT in your house. But joining me to discuss this, his second time on this very program, uh, co-host of the Super Smart Brothers Pro Wrestling Podcast, uh, Joe Sheehan, welcome back to Power Bombs and Potables. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I love having you back. I know that you recently made an appearance on our um, movie podcast, Popcorn and Potables, so uh, it's nice that I can steal you back for, for this one. Yeah, I mean, uh, have you heard Dan's name for me? I, I'm the Cinemark because I work wow. at Cinemark, so wow. I know both movies and wrestling. I, yeah, it's I, perfect, actually. I heard the podcast, uh, but I was probably doing something around my house, and that kind of might have gotten lost in translation, so bravo. It was literally, it was like one line that, so Dan and I were texting ahead of time, and he came up with that, and then just, yeah, during the podcast, he jokingly threw that out. It, it's perfect, though. That is tremendous so um we both just finished watching this show and just like money in the bank this show got done very early it was 8 57 and the main event was coming on i text you i'm like yeah this will be done by 9 25 and we're pretty pretty much on the yeah your text came at a great time because uh aaron was asking when we were going to record this and i was like as soon as i saw that the uh the second to last match ended i was like well there's only one more match, so we're going to be going on soon. <laughs> yeah, so um, let's just dive into it. Uh, first of all, Todd Pettengill is back. Now, Todd Pettengill was before right. he was before your time of wrestling. Me growing oh, yeah, up absolutely. in the 90s, I I grew up watching WWF Mania and uh, the all the pre-shows to these things. Todd Pettengill was energy in a can. That would explode every single show. Uh, this guy was a, for those who don't really know him, uh, Todd Pentengill was a morning disc jockey on, I believe, Hot 97. 
And that show, yeah, that's he, he was the morning guy on that show. That show lasted until I believe last year, uh, when they finally, yeah, it was last year they got rid of Hot ninety seven and they finally changed the format. And he had about a almost a thirty year run, something like that, with that show. Uh, and I don't know what he's doing now, but he had been one of the main hosts of that. I find it weird though that they have kind of linked him to the In Your House brand. I remember about ten years ago, WWE put out a best of in your house DVD and they brought him back to host that. Yeah. And then they have him on this too. Trust me. I loved seeing him back, but I just find it weird that his, his attachment, they just remember him as the in your house guy. I, yeah. I mean, he was involved. I know he was a big part of the first one, right? When they gave away the house, he, he was the guy who made the drawing for the house. Which yeah. they so have- I think that's just, it's just that one moment. And then that's what the, he's the in your house guy. Yeah, like he had better he had better um better luck that time with the phone call on the house giving away than he did at SummerSlam '97 when they were giving away a million dollars in cash out of a coffin and him and Sonny are standing up on the stage and technically when they do these types of things they call the person ahead of time so that they they kind of know hey make sure your phone apparently they didn't hear. And they ended up no. calling like three or four people before someone finally answered their phone live on pay per view. It was a train I, wreck, and that was also his last appearance with SummerSlam '97. Oh, that's too great! Oh, that's a great like uh, saga for him. Yeah. So um, Todd Pentengill is back to open the show. I absolutely love that. Uh, Code Orange came back to perform here. I don't even know if that was the uh, the theme for the show, but. They invited them it to the was, show, yeah. and they prefer. I, I, I don't really keep track of the damn themes because, especially the NXT ones, there's usually like two or three. I feel, which is kind of weird, but I'm oh, yeah, always way more yeah. of a fan. Uh, Triple H always gets alt rock, you know, metal bands, whereas WWE always goes pop, top forty, and alternative weird things. There, uh, it's, yeah, and, NXT- and we've got a Greatest Showman coming up for. Uh- uh, backlash. Yeah, my, my my girlfriend talked about that, and she was just like, "Oh yeah, that song's not stuck in my head because of the the commercial." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" She goes, "The song that they're using in that it's from the Greatest Show." And I'm like, "How the fuck would I know that?" <laughs> so yeah, Code Orange is here, and then they eventually they they pan back out, and then you see the set. They have the yeah, original they, house. The house. I loved it. I was so happy. So good. And I, I loved it. Keep going. All the all the nostalgia tonight was fantastic. Yes. They, they, didn't, they nailed it. Like, we'll definitely get into that, too. Um, yeah. But, like, tell me with this. We've been watching these pay-per-views uh, from WWE for years now and talking about them, uh, whether it be on the side or now even on this podcast. This house set gave it a distinct look. For the last 10 years, even WrestleMania, you get a stage and you get a giant screen. That's all you get. There's nothing special about the stage setups for WWE shows anymore. So this made it look special. It gave it a unique feel, something that hasn't been there in a long time. Even even in the early to mid-2000s, the pay-per-views always had some form of of special effect. I remember the backlash. You always have like these like hooks that would just swing yeah. in the, it um, was cool. 
even even more recently, I would say, even like TLC, you remember the one year they hung all the, it was like one side was tables, one side was ladders, they like hung them all over. Like even that, like that was just like 10-ish years ago because I think it was in college for that one. So. Yeah, the the one where they did the shield versus I don't remember who, but they they do the spot and they pull the the one chair yeah, down the and then it pulls the yeah. string of the yeah. Uh, that was the shield versus evolution. Was that it? Uh, might be. Uh, yeah. I'll look it up. And talk. Yeah, I I don't remember, but either way, so we'll jump into the first match here. Now NXT takeovers are notorious for starting off with a super hot match. This was not that. We get a six-woman no. match. Shotzi Blackheart, Tegan Knox, Mia Yim versus the team of Dakota Kai, Raquel Gonzalez, and Candice LeRae. My first note here is this was a super sloppy match. It seemed like a classic mishmash of teams that they used to put together in like an early 90s Survivor Series match. It's like, oh, we need teams, so we're just going to put these people together, and we're going to throw them out there. There was no chemistry the longer this match went, the longer I was ready for it to be over, uh, which, like I said, is disappointing because usually the NXT takeovers, they start off really hot to really get you going for the the other matches because these, these takeover cards usually only have four, maybe five matches. This card had six, and uh, they started off with a really kind of cold match here. Uh, the one thing Yeah, I this is the coldest match from like my most recent many, memory of any NXT takeover. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think because like I mean like, uh, I think Street Profits, Viking Raiders, that was that was great. I went to NXT Philly. Uh, I don't even remember what the opener to that was, but I went to Dallas. I believe the opening match to that card, uh, that wasn't Shinsuke's debut was on that, but I don't think that was the opening match. I just remember that that whatever. Oh no, no, yeah, that was later. Yeah, that was like the middle of that show. But I just remember that that first match too. It was just like it. It would set the tone for the night. And I said, like I said, this did not. Dakota Kai kept misstepping and hitting Raquel Gonzalez. And it happened like three or four times in the last five minutes of this match. So, like, I guess they're already teasing a breakup between them because there's no way that it was an accident and that she hit her that many times. It was just weird. Oh, um, yeah. And they were definitely playing it up. So it was definitely the heels. Uh, yeah, heels breaking up was definitely hinted at. Yeah, Candice LeRae and Mia Yim end up fighting to the back. Of course, they have to go through the garage because that's the entranceway. Fucking love it. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Tegan Knox. Can I say that I find it weird that Tegan Knox using a choke slam is just weird to me? Yeah, because she's not big. She's like, what, 5'6", so 5'7", like- six, and she's using a move that is notoriously somebody that's at least 6'8 or higher does. Exactly. So it's like, what's what's the damage? You're not like picking someone up from a height and slamming them down, right? A, a choke slam out of the women, like I could I could see Nia Jax doing it as a power move. I could even mm-hmm. see Rhea Ripley or Charlotte Flair doing was, it. You I was know, they're just getting gonna up, say, yeah, but not Tegan Knox. I I I don't know why they let her do that. Uh, but in the end, uh, Tegan Knox ends up getting the win uh, in this match. So uh, your winners, uh, Tegan Knox, Mia Yim, Shotzi Blackheart, which at that point of the night put me up one to nothing on our bets. I posted yeah. yours and mine, but uh, it gets interesting as the night goes on. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> any other thoughts that you had on this match? Because like I said, it was just, it was kind of like, I can't wait for this to be over for me. And uh, yeah, my only thought is, is, this is the the criticism that people throw against AEW all the time is not putting time into their women's division. And this is exactly what happened here. It was, 
oh, we can't make any of these one storylines big enough, so let's just throw them all into a multi-woman match. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. One, I don't understand Shotzi Blackheart, and I've talked about that on this program several times. So you have her, and she's kind of intertwined with this never-ending Tegan Knox Dakota Kai, Raquel Gonzalez storyline. So yeah. I don't care about any of them. The hot angle here is Mia Yim and Candice LeRae. So I don't get why Which they played did... a bigger role in a different match. And I'm well and didn't need to be in this. Match. Yeah, I'm guessing that basically the reason why they didn't want to do that is because later on, as we'll find out in the Keith Lee Johnny Gargano match, you wouldn't want both of the baby faces going over in that one. So you would have had to have come up with uh, a decisive winner. So I'm guessing we're going to push off that and you'll eventually get uh, the Mia Yim Candice LeRae match, which here probably would have been a decent opener. Still looking back on this show, if you look at it in hindsight, I personally think that they should have started with, as dumb as it sounds, I would have started with carrying cross Tommaso Ciampa, but we'll talk about that one no, later. You're exactly right. Not dumb at all. Yeah, we'll get to it later, but you're totally right. Up next, Damian Priest versus Finn Balor. Now, the first thing that I thought to myself here is Balor's been back in NXT for about nine months now. In that nine months, we've seen him turn heel. We've seen him mm-hmm. kind of turn back babyface, but try and act like he's a heel still. We've had him get injured. We've had him have a point where he was, you know, quarantined, so he was off TV. It's start, stop, start, stop, start, stop for this guy. And I'm going into this match saying, well, at this point, Balor doesn't have anything going for him. If the one person that needs a push, it's Damian Priest. And I kind of thought that Priest was going to get the win here based off of that. Uh, but I ended up being wrong here right no. out of the gate. Yeah. I- I had the opposite view. I thought it was going to be because of the stop start of Finn Balor. I thought they were going to give him the win. Well, that's uh, that's where we ended up becoming one and one <laughs> on this night. Uh, right out of the gate here, Balor comes out, and the, but I don't even think his music stops, and he just charges uh, right into the corner with a double running drop kick onto Damian Priest in the corner. Uh, Balor was really showing a vicious side of himself. I know he had uh, Priest early on in the match, just outside of the ring against the guardrail, and he was beating the shit out of him, uh, which was which is good. It's a different side of Balor that you normally don't get to see. Uh, Priest hit a razor's edge onto the apron, uh, and that looked like a really bad spot. As you know, obviously, the the the, the side of the ring on that apron is the toughest, hardest spot. The hardest part. And uh, he and also, threw, yeah, go. dangerous move in the sense that that's the kind of move that Balor got hit uh, hurt with before. Like Seth Rollins did the kind of razor's edge into the uh, uh, corner, the turnbuckle. Yeah. Uh, he goes for it again. Now, this time, this time, the steps are set up on the ground, and he's attempting to pick him up for the razor's edge while standing on the apron and drop Finn Balor uh, onto it. Of course, Balor muscles out and then, I believe, hits a drop kick onto Priest, which sends him diving backwards. Oh, oh it's almost the Cactus Jack spot. Cactus Jack did that yeah. years ago, but it was like straight on the concrete. I don't know what was worse. The straight concrete shot or this, because Damian Priest is a... Oh, this. What were you going to say? 
he was like half on the step and half on the floor. It was nasty. Well, yeah. I mean, Damian Priest is 250 pounds, and the momentum, he just shot back. His back and his whole body just contorted on the steps, and then the force just kept him rolling backwards. Then he landed on his on his head, bending him in half on the ground. That didn't look – did not look good at all. So, uh, yeah, nope. he got him back in the ring. Coup de grace for the win. Uh, and Finn wins his 11th takeover match, which is a record here for NXT. Yeah. But Thank you, Mauro. Yeah, th- thank you for fact-checking everything like that. But <laughs> this match was... Uh, it had really good spots, but there were some... The, the cringe spots were especially that 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 stair spot. Ev- they kept replaying it, and every time I was just grinding my teeth because it looked bad. Yeah, without those spots, though, I thought it was a solid match. But you're right. That, that For sure. I agree it took me out of it. If you take those out of the equation, though, great match. Like, I love Damian Priest for the fact that he can play the big guy, but then can also keep up with a guy like Finn Balor. I agree with you on that. Uh, and that wasn't even a thing. Where do you see Finn Balor going from here? Because it's just been so many start and stop, start and stop. We're finally getting everybody back in to do new content each week. Mm-hmm. Where do you see Finn Balor going from here? I mean, with Keith, uh, we'll get into it later. Keith Lee still holding the, the title. He still has a baby face there. So that one's a little tough because, like, out of this, Finn Balor's becoming a baby face because he just went up against one of the biggest heels. Um, I would say maybe now Adam Cole, but that's, they did that before, didn't they? They did it on TV. Yeah. So it's never made it to an actual feud um, because yeah. that was they, they were doing that little spot where he was almost being intertwined each week with somebody else for a title match. And I don't think any – I'm trying to remember how that match ended. I think Imperium may have gotten involved. They're like, they've, they've intertwined him in so many different things that it's just – it's hard yeah. to really keep track of because nothing has been a straight storyline. They'd be like, oh, I remember how they really drew that out from takeover to takeover. It was, well <laughs> – this week was the challenge, this week was the match, and then the next week he was wrestling someone else. It's been really, this whole quarantine has not been great for uh, wrestling because they're trying to do everything they can to get people to watch, especially on Wednesday yeah. nights when AEW's been coming out, you know, guns blazing every single week at them. But uh, Finn Balor, who was a star in NXT, a standout, they brought him to the main roster and they did what they could with him. Of course, like usual, they dropped the ball with him. They brought him back down to give him another resurgence. And then, all, like I said, the last nine months have just been start-stop. And he really hasn't found his uh, his legs here since coming back in October. So maybe maybe it is a good timing for another run at the title. Maybe. Right? Like, his night, now you have Adam Cole. Adam Cole supposedly has finished his storyline now with uh, the Dream uh, because of the ending to that match. Right. So. Finn comes off a big win over Damian Priest. Like, I think it's kind of perfect timing. Yeah, because at this point, the next match, which is Keith Lee versus Johnny Gargano <laughs> for the NXT North American title, I kind of felt going into this that it was time to, you could put the North American belt onto Johnny and then mm-hmm. put Keith Lee into the main title picture. But. That's not what ends up happening here. Um, realistically, nope. and and I'll even I'll just jump to the end. I'll you know 
go back and cover the match in a minute. But Keith Lee retaining the title here uh, over Johnny Gargano pretty much for me says that you could do you could do Finn Balor and uh, what was I going to say? Uh, I, I said that backwards. Um, but we're not going to edit that out. Uh, but you're, you're going to take Keith Lee as the champion, and the only other option at my point at this is 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 carrying cross for Keith Lee. Oh yeah. Yeah. And because like I said, at that point if Johnny won, you could have put Keith Lee with Adam Cole, but that's not happening. So now it's like, how else do I do this? So then, yeah, that would make sense. I like yeah. that idea. Finn Balor, Adam Cole, Keith Lee, carrying cross. And then Johnny Gargano's got a, I don't know, have a feud with rockstar spud. <laughs> He'll always find something, right? Like, because I've I've said that before. I'm like, ooh, what's Gargano gonna do? And he comes out with something. <sighs> yeah, for and all I know, they're came gonna out s- with something in this match. I, I, I love this match. For all I know, they're gonna spin him back off of Tommaso Ciampa. I hope they don't do that. Oh God! But yeah, um, so d- definitely for what it's worth, I'll, I'll pull the curtain back here. I might need your help with some of the notes, and we're saying this live. Mm-hmm. I was cooking dinner during this match, so I'm running in and out trying to catch moves and see what's happening. Uh, but the one thing, the story of this match was Johnny Gargano trying to take out the the fingers and the hand of Keith Lee. So yeah, they, so, <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah, that was uh, that was one part, and then the other part was his eye. So leading up to this match on NXT the other week, we had Johnny Gargano stab Keith Lee in the eye with a key. And suppose and scratches cornea, and so in this match, Gargano bo- used both the hand and the eye. He would like poke the eye, or like Keithley even even just Keithley punching would like hurt his hand, and so he had to keep using either like clotheslines or went with the eye thing. Like he had to close the one eye, right? So like he couldn't see Johnny, and so he would have to reach out and grab him and hold on to him, and so like he would do a suplex but hold on to got like Johnny, and then bring him in for like a di- another move but still hold on to him. So that's what I thought. It was a really well-told story. You know, they've always joked about, you know, wrestlers portraying superheroes. But when you say things like that, it's just like, (laughs) I had, I had a scratched cornea when I was like eight years old. I took a soccer ball uh, that had some dirt on it right to my eye. And I ended up, I had to wear an eye patch for several weeks you're telling me yeah. this guy got a scratched cornea by a car key, and tonight he's out. <laughs> I, no, mind you, no, never has he worn an eye patch any of these weeks, and here he's out no. here cleared. He's cleared to have a wrestling match. Man, whew, yeah. I want to know what's in his you know breakfast every morning to uh, be able to heal that 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 cornea so quickly. They have a uh, it's it's similar to WWE's disinfectant spray that apparently like they can just spray all over the place and it lasts a month. So uh, he he just got he gets those eye drops that instantly re- relieve a uh, scratch cornea. I guess. Uh, so the first thing that I, I noticed too is so early in the night on the set, I was like, it looks like there's like a ring doorbell right outside the door. I'm like, there's no way that that used to be there. But what it ended up doing is they they made it into a spot. Gargano yeah. tried to run away from Keith Lee, and he's trying to get into the house through the door, and they just switch to that camera angle, and it was a camera. And it looked fucking cool because Johnny's at the door trying to get it open, and you just see Keith Lee pissed off walking up from behind to get him. It looked like a goddamn Michael Myers scene. Uh, so that it, was this the, is the best use of the house. 
like besides the main event, but like uh, Johnny's entrance. Did you see this? Was like it was the videos leading up to the match, and mm-hmm. it's those videos of him and Candice uh, having a dinner for two in their house. But so it cuts to this one where it's just Johnny sitting on the table, and he gets up and he goes over and he turns down his Nest thermostat or turns it up, I guess, gets it ready for him to leave. And then he walks out a door, and it's that door. It's the in-your-house door that he walks out Holy of. shit. Now I was, I was putting it, the food on the grill at that point. Oh, yeah. It was great. <laughs> wow. That's, that's excellent. Uh, they did a gr- this jo- This match was the one match on Twitter. I was live tweeting like I do for all the pay-per-views. Yeah. This was the one match that I said, I'm really enjoying this match. And I didn't even get to see the whole thing. And that just goes to show the things that I saw that these guys were doing was just great, and it was easy to yeah. to resonate to anybody just coming in and out of the room, the story that they were trying to tell yeah. here. So a, a lot of yeah. – sorry, what were you going to say? I, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, because like even like Aaron, who watches very little wrestling, she was like, oh, yeah, his hands hurt, so he has to use like, his arm or something like that. She was getting it. Simple story that you can just tell so easily. Uh, Gargano, like I said, was working the fingers of Keith Lee here. A lot of submissions from Johnny Gargano. There was a cobra clutch. There was an arm bar. Um, even when uh, uh, Keith Lee went for the spirit bomb, Johnny yeah. got the hand of Keith Lee and started putting the hand submission in it. It was just tremendous yeah. what they were doing And there. Keith Lee, one-armed, lifted him over his head. That was fucking ridiculous and crazy. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, not trying to... Trying to blow too much smoke up his ass. I mean, that's a move that's definitely impressive because he's done it with several people that are bigger than him. Yeah. Johnny Gargano's, you know, a lighter guy, but the whole story is that he was working that hand. So you can never take away the, the credibility of what he's got to do to muster up the, the strength because, you know, he's working the same arm that he's lifting him up uh, with. Yeah. Uh, eventually, Keith Lee hits a big bang catastrophe to pin and retain the mm-hmm. North American title. I. I thought this was a great match. This was probably the number. Ooh, I was going to rank the matches, but then I started thinking about the the bottom half of this show. Uh, this was a great match, so I, I I couldn't hate on it. And they they did a great job. Uh, Keith Lee, like I said, retains, and I think it's great to spin him off with Karrion and Cross. Yeah. All right, so uh, we move on here. Uh, NXT world title, Adam Cole defending in a backlot brawl. And this was literally that. Now, I remember the original and only other backlot brawl they had was a WrestleMania 12. It was Rowdy Rowdy Piper, Gold mm-hmm. Dust, and it was a Hollywood backlot brawl. And they filmed it on a studio of a backlot uh, in Hollywood. And, it, you know, it was, it was there. This looked like they filmed it on the set of, like, a Western or something like that. Like though you could see the whole background of like a small town. Yeah. You have that aspect in the middle of it. There's a ring. And then around it is a bunch of cars with their lights on. So it kind of, it, it barred from a lot of things. When I see the, the lights in the surrounding thing, um, it makes me think of uh, the, uh, it was the Eddie Guerrero. And was it Eddie Guerrero and Cena? Cena? Yeah. And they had that match. Yeah. You talking about that. Yeah, well, all the all the cars around, like they, they didn't have a ring in that one, right? Correct. It was just them with the cars. Correct. So. Yes. And yeah. 
And so I felt like they they took a little bit from everything. I, this match was shot, I, th- I think, like a week ago, they said. And it was raining. <laughs> oh, shoot. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Uh, you could see that on there. Uh, they do full entrances kind of ho- how like they did with the uh, the graveyard match or no, the boneyard match yeah. uh, from WrestleMania where each person got an entrance, but they entered with a vehicle. Um, Adam Cole enters with a undisputed era monster truck. Great. <laughs> and Great. the Velveteen Dream rolls up in a Lamborghini. He gets out. He's dressed as Negan, but he's got the face print uh, of uh, of him as Hollywood Hogan on the back of the yeah. jacket. So he was like Hollywood Negan Dream here. I couldn't really figure <laughs> yeah. out what he wanted to be. Uh, but for what it's worth, I kind of I, I enjoyed Dream toned down and wearing like dark colors uh, not so much the flamboyant. He wasn't. He he looked like a regular guy here. It, it kind of stripped himself down of his normal getup. Uh, so it was a different look for him, and I kind of dug it. Yeah, I thought it worked really well because it made sense to the match, right? Like this is his last chance. If he loses, he's going into a backlot brawl. Right. So if you show up flamboyant and stuff, it seems like you're not taking it seriously and you're not ready for it. So it's like he showed up with a fucking baseball bat, like Negan. Like, bam, he's ready to go. I couldn't agree with you more. So, you know, I, I this was a match that I was, because I was trying to take in everything, I was literally just doing bullet points for myself here as opposed to normally where I try and uh, write myself out sentences. But uh, they do a spot here where they quote-unquote call an Uber. So, like, a minivan <laughs> opens up. They throw each other through the minivan on one side and then instantly exit out the other. And then yeah, the one van of the drives off. double door one. Yeah, and I was like, well, "What did you hear?" It's like a ref or someone told the Uber driver to take off. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so the next thing that I noticed here, and this, I couldn't. I I, sever, I had several tweets about this. They start fighting on like a two thousand Dodge Stratus. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I said. On, on the Twitter was this is the same company that sacrificed a brand new Corvette. They've smashed Mustangs and all these other things, including Friday night on SmackDown where Braun Strowman flips a, a working van, a brand new white van over all sorts of damage. But here they went to a junkyard or went on Craigslist and bought the cheapest car they could to use this to do all their spots on. I just found mm-hmm. it weird. This it, it, Vince McMahon's always been big on, well, the cars have to be new for some fucking reason. It makes no sense. But this, this was uh, an old ass car. And I tried to find, <laughs> I tried to find the video of Steve from Process Potables giving me a rock bottom onto the hood of like his 96 Dodge Stratus like <laughs> in the parking lot tailgating a Phillies game like 12 or 13 years ago and I couldn't find it. Steve, if you have that video, you need to tweet that so that I can retweet it on our Twitter at PowerbombsPPN uh, because that was going to be like, well, <laughs> speaking fantastic. of people doing moves on the hoods of old Dodges, this is uh, <laughs> yeah. this is that. Uh, they so the the spot here with the they they put a ladder in front of this vehicle, and 
the dream puts uh he, he knocks Adam Cole off it and he does a back drop off the top of this ladder through the windshield and he starts bleeding and my girlfriend's watching and she goes wait is he actually bleeding I'm like well there's fucking glass hanging out of his arm so yeah <laughs> that's 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 shoot blood that's See not working giant, blood See the giant crater in the middle of that windshield yeah um <laughs> At this point, the Undisputed Era rolls in in their own car, which is like a brand new uh, Camaro. Mm -hmm. And once again, it's only Bobby Fish and Roderick Strong. And where's Kyle O'Reilly been? He was on TV this week in all those pre-tape promos that have to be new pre-tapes because there's no, like, he's been off TV since the beginning of the quarantine. So he... Right. Two things I can think of. It's either he's Canadian, right? So maybe he can't get into the country, right? Or he's just choosing to stay away. But like I said, these the the the, the promos that they were using on NXT this week to basically build up to this match, where all four members are all uh, in like suits and they're at a table, and uh, Adam Cole's talking about how he's been the champion for one year, and it was like a celebration dinner. He's there. That's new footage. Oh. So that's kind of where I was a little thrown as to like. Where is he here? Because once again, oh, yeah. unless unless they filmed this before he made it back for, for TV this week, that's the only thing that I can think of. Oh, possibly. So. You said they filmed this one a week ago. Yeah. Because apparently they filmed Backlash tonight, so maybe this weekend yeah, they did. I saw that. Taped everything else. That could that could easily be the situation. I'm sure that that'll eventually come up, but it's just a random thought that I've had there. Um, they do no, a... you, you, and you're not the only one. The whole time I sat there, I was like, "Where's Kyle?" Like, yeah, it's been a while. Um, the undisputed era. So we get Bobby Fish and, like I said, Roderick Strong. They go into the back of this monster truck that Adam Cole backed up to the ring, and they're just chucking folding chairs from the bed of it into the ring. And Morrow makes the comment that, oh, he feels like he's back in ECW, which popped me. Uh, sidebar, this coming Friday, 15 years since ECW's one-night stand. What a magical weekend that was. I was at the Hardcore oh, Homecoming show, and I'm crap. going to try and put together a 15-year uh, retrospective of some of the shows from that weekend. A little teaser uh, that'll be out, hopefully, later on this week but they throw the chairs into the ring at this point mm -hmm. they go to get a chair that was on the ground and it gets pulled under the ring and it's dexter loomis who's there <laughs> and at this point was what, what popped me wasn't what was on the screen what popped me was was my girlfriend who is you know you know she's a low-key wrestling fan she'll never admit it she's just like i really like that this guy hasn't actually talked yet <laughs> I was like, and I just stared at her. She's like, what? And I was like, you realize what you just said, right? So that popped me. Uh, you, but you watched it enough that you know. <laughs> exactly. So uh, Loomis ends up throwing Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish into the trunk of their own Camaro and then drives oh, it away. <laughs> so they're not coming back. Um, at this point, I went on Twitter and said, Man, remember that time that Shawn Michaels got thrown through the windshield of uh, of a car and he was out for weeks? And then right underneath <laughs> I said, remember that time that Adam Cole got thrown through a windshield and he was out for a couple of minutes? Because 
<laughs> a couple minutes later, he's up and he's in this match and he's still wrestling. Um, it ends up where Dream hits everything from the Dream Valley driver to... The, in the end, he doesn't get the job done. Panama Sunrise nope. on the stack of chairs in the middle of the ring and Adam Cole retains the NXT world title and Velveteen Dream is out of the picture. He's not getting another shot. So, well... There needs to be somebody for yeah. There needs to be somebody for Adam Cole, and like we discussed earlier, I think Finn Balor's your your best bet here. Yeah, pretty much. So up next is definitely a spot where they would have had a let me up match, but no, this match was the furthest thing from it. It's Karrion Cross Tommaso Champa. Karrion Cross, he took Tommaso Champa to Suplex City. I lost count of how yep. many times. He threw over-the-head suplexes on Tommaso Ciampa. But at least, unlike the Germans that Brock throws on people, where they land on their neck, he was throwing these over-the-head suplexes, getting uh, Ciampa fully over, so he was landing on his back on all of them. So there was no cringe spots for me there. Uh, Ciampa ends up firing back, uh, hits the uh, Willow's Bell for a two-count. That's the draping DDT uh, off the middle rope. Uh, followed by two running knees to the head of Cross. Uh, but then he goes for the fairy tale ending on Cross, who who tosses Champa and then applies the cross jacket uh, for the pass out win. Now, normally I hate the pass out spot because it's just like, oh, we're trying to protect this guy. It yeah. was a struggle for about five seconds, and then they shot this camera angle, and you just see just like an anaconda. The arm of Karrion Cross just like cinched that chokehold in more, and Champa went out instantly. That looked real. It looked like a, yeah. like a UFC fight. Like there was realism. Mm -hmm. You have to get this match stopped because this guy's he's out. Um, there was a struggle, and then he got he got it right, and then bam, done. Mm -hmm. And so, basically, my thought process here is one. I kind of am sad that they had to sacrifice Tommaso Ciampa here. But the thing is, is you needed somebody credible for carrying cross, number one. Number two, Tommaso mm -hmm. Ciampa has been kind of on a losing streak. So it doesn't hurt him as much, not to mention he's already a main eventer. So you're not going to take him out of that main event spot. But if you're going to sacrifice somebody, sacrifice a main eventer. We already know that Tommaso yeah. Champ is not going anywhere. He straight up said that he will quit the company if he goes to the main roster. And <laughs> yeah, I'm telling Aaron that story while we're watching this match. So he's he's bound to always be there. He'll recover and he'll eventually get his stride back. Uh, but that also now makes, in my opinion, carrying Cross a main eventer. Mm -hmm. So right away, him, him getting that credibility and being the monster. You could easily throw him in there, put him in with Keith Lee. Keith Lee and him, it's just going to be a fucking fest of two guys just beating the fuck out of each other. But I could also see it, unfortunately, which I would hate. So if this was the main roster match and you finally got Karrion Cross and Keith Lee, it would be the, 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 the Braun Strowman five-minute match that they had at WrestleMania with Goldberg, where it's going to be a couple of moves. They're yeah. just going to power, 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 and then you're going to get a winner. Mm -hmm. Here, these guys yeah. will probably have a good fight. I, I could see that being the direction uh, on the NXT show, but the only thing that makes sense would be Karrion Cross getting the North American title, 
And then eventually, maybe you could have at that point, uh, Tommaso Ciampa come back for a little bit of redemption. Yeah. I, th- I obviously, there's definitely room for redemption for Tommaso in this. Right. And and that's the thing is so he's beloved he's a he's a main eventer you can do whatever with him I'm fine with that it was yeah. it was best booking for all people involved with it yeah but the, like at first I thought you were gonna go like negative on this because you said it was like a sacrifice for Tommaso and I was like I didn't see it that way but then your explanation was it was spot on yeah right that so, it wasn't really a sacrifice it was him just on his losing streak and it's gonna be it's it's a great character build for Tommaso it's a great main event build for Carrion. I agree wholeheartedly with you on that. So the main event here is for the NXT women's title. Charlotte Flair defending against Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai. Now, I the whole time just assume no matter what that Rhea Ripley loses the title to Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania. A couple months go by, Charlotte drops it back to Rhea Ripley. That's kind of what makes sense to me here. And I kind of felt it would be fucked up and shitty for Rhea to lose it in a one-on-one match to Charlotte, but then regain it in a triple threat match. So I felt that tonight wouldn't be the night that they would do that title change. This Mm -hmm. match was uh, very good. They booked it very well. A lot of times triple threat matches can be, you know, a giant clusterfuck, but this wasn't. You know, these girls... no told a, yeah. a great story they did their spots where one person was in the ring when they need to be and then you, you come in and you take somebody else out uh just just so many just quick you know high spots that i want to run over here dive of the night io shirai she was the, the one person <laughs> she did a running dive through the middle rope to the outside which she turned straight into a crossbody and took out rhea ripley her feet didn't hit the rope i didn't guess that like she was gonna die so great job there on io shirai's part uh, she's just crisp with everything she does, Ariel, and I'm I'm you know very high on her. They they the the high spot of this match comes where they uh, Io Shirai climbs to the top of the house and does a diving cross body off of the house onto both women who catch her. It looked awesome. They shot this very well. Um, eventually, we get everybody back in the ring and. Charlotte has the figure eight on Rhea Ripley. Io Shirai hits a moonsault where her knee smashes the fuck out of the face of Rhea Ripley. And she pins her while Charlotte still has the uh, figure eight on. Which The cool thing, too, was you could see Charlotte was trying to unlock her legs because she saw what was happening but couldn't get it done in time. Which gave it a nice real factor. Showed frustration, too. She was like, shit. Like, you could see it on her face of like, oh, fuck. Like. I can't do this. Right. And for, for as dumb as it sounds, like kind of how I was saying the if, if Rhea had gotten the, the win back here, this really was like an even job from everybody. Like Charlotte was like part of the, the finish still, but like she for once got caught up like she couldn't get herself out. And that's why she didn't win the match. Uh, and Io Shirai here wins the the women's title, which was very unexpected. And I kind of the whole time, like I said, I thought Charlotte Flair was going to win. Uh, and as I'm live tweeting, WWE in the middle of the match puts up a poll of who do you think is going to win? So I click Charlotte Flair. 
literally no joke i was the very first person to vote on this and i screenshotted it and i like an asshole put it up on our page and i was like yep here's the only vote that needs to count mine because i'm like oh charlotte's gonna win 100 for charlotte but then yeah exactly but it also said one vote and it was just mine so eventually probably about five minutes later i refresh it and there's like three thousand votes on there and it's like 60 percent eo shirai and i'm like did something get out that I don't know about? Because that's really weird that Io Shirai has this much in here because, like, I feel they've done a good job building up this with a vested equal, you know, shot for everybody. Everybody's got their issues with Charlotte Flair. Nobody's had a win against Charlotte Flair, but nor has Charlotte Flair had a win over them because all those matches have ended up in disqualifications. So we're all kind of on this giant even playing field here. And never did I have a, an inkling that that Io Shirai might have come out here uh, with the win, but she did, and I'm I'm very okay with it. But then my yeah. question is, where do you go from here? I guess Ripley. Now I think you take Flair out of the picture. I think Flair now goes and concentrates on the main roster, and now you get Ripley. Uh, going for her title again and trying to get redemption. The only part I don't like about this, she doesn't get revenge on Flair. That's kind of my point. And, and where that's why I felt it was strange that she doesn't get the redemption on Charlotte. And yeah. what to, to more to what you said there, she goes back to the main roster. The main roster right now is pretty well maintained. If you look at the situation, we have backlash coming up this Sunday and Bailey is going to be spinning off eventually onto this feud with Charlotte Flair. We only have one more pay-per-view going into SummerSlam. So there's not much to really be had there. So the only other thing that I can think of maybe is Nia Jax wins the title from Asuka at Backlash next week, and then you bring Charlotte in to wrestle Nia Jax come SummerSlam? Yeah, maybe. But the, the sad thing is, is I don't care about that. So I, I was. Well, I don't much, care about that because of the Nia Jax part, but yeah. Right, I'm. I would be more. I'm still more invested in the things you can do with Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair wrestling on all three shows. I'm all for. She's she's yeah. she's the fucking best wrestler in the company right now. Fight me right now on that. She's she's the only person working all three shows consecutive consecutively having matches that are good, whether they're ending in disqualifications or not. Charlotte Flair is tremendous in the ring and there's no taking that away from her but wait Corey, how can she be the best wrestler when she's not involved in the greatest wrestling match ever coming up next sunday you know what joe sheehan uh, i'm afraid for that match i think that that match has all the potential to be a great wrestling match but i feel it's going to be far from the greatest wrestling match and because of that it's going to be um just just mocked and made fun of because it's not going to live up to the hype that they've created it. They said in the beginning, I'm challenging you to a wrestling match. Cool. Just have it be a wrestling match. But no, 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 no. We have to brand it. This is exactly why I chose this week instead of next week. to do the review. Like whoever thought that that was a good idea to start marketing like that. Like I want them to go take a poop with their pants on. <laughs> It's just fucking horrible. So um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about while I had you here um, is on NXT this week, we saw the end of the NXT, now NXT Cruiserweight title. 
Apparently, mm-hmm. Jordan Devlin, who was the interim champion, was silently stripped of the title. They were always saying the whole time it was like an interim champion, but now they're just, they, they've completely, in the beginning of the tournament, they were wording it as the interim NXT Cruiserweight champion. Yeah. And now it's just the. And he was hyping that. He was like the fake champion. Like. Right. So he doesn't, uh, he's been stripped of his title, and El Hio de Fantasma is now the Cruiserweight champion. And you get the feel-good mm-hmm. moment at the end of the show where Drake Maverick, who has had this you know, giant uh, struggle since being fired. So timeline there, they announce this tournament on TV on a Wednesday mm-hmm. night. On Thursday, they announce a bunch of people being released. The first person instantly that posts a video wearing a WWE shirt and crying is Drake Maverick, talking about how they're allowing him to still compete in this tournament and he's going to give it all he's got, even though he thinks that they're going to be his last matches in the company. So then he goes out and he loses his first match. Then he goes out and wins a second match. So that's when everything starts rumbling like, hmm, maybe this is maybe this is a work. Then he goes out mm-hmm. and wins his third match, which then goes into a fourth match that he wins. And then you get here and you're like, well, at this point, he either needs to win this or they're just assholes if they don't fucking re-sign this guy. And then he loses, and as he's walking to the end of the stage and he's crying and it's a happy, sad moment, Triple H comes out, hands him a contract, he signs it on the stage, and they've brought him to NXT, and it's yay. But, like, they've now created a situation where they worked themselves into a shoot. So whether or not this was real or not, they legit, they're assholes if they fired a guy and then legit created a situation where they felt bad that they did that. So then they brought him back, but then that fucks over everybody else. They're also assholes if they fake fired this guy just to do a storyline when they really fired other people. Yeah. This is especially with the video he put out right after he was quote fired right this is real fire this is the perfect situation of you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't but they did it to themselves so my point here is what are your thoughts on the newest nxt signee drake maverick and how they went about this whole situation i I just don't understand the whole thing because you you got exactly right with they're damned if they do they're damned if they don't depending on how if this is real or fake because if it was real Dick moves to everyone who's fired. If it's fake, really dick moves to everyone that was really fired. Right. Then it, you come over here with like making a huge deal about him being resigned. Like, don't get me wrong. I think Drake Maverick was super entertaining and impact as a rockstar uh, name earlier. And rockstar, rockstar spud. Yeah. With the, with the suits and all that stuff. Great. He hasn't been like that in WWE. He hasn't been that entertaining. So I don't get what the huge deal is too see him resigned and stuff like that. His matches in this tournament were average. It wasn't like I was sitting there going blown away. Like, right. Oh man, how could they have fired this guy? Right. Like they're, they're just so stupid. And that's the thing is I look at that as very much like, uh, the Heath Slater story when they first did this second rebranding and he didn't have a show. And mm-hmm. then he finally got on to SmackDown. And basically the deal was, that him and Rhino, if they won the SmackDown tag titles, then he would get signed that way. So there was stakes and there yeah. was a story there. But then the problem was, once they won those titles, 
what do you do with them? Once they dropped the belts, then there was never a story. He was that guy that would show up in squash matches, uh, in battle royals and things, and they never used him again because it was like, well, we had this one great heartfelt story that worked, but then what? What's next? Here in this situation yeah. is uh, you had a heartfelt story, but now what? He lost the belt, and he didn't even lose the belt. He didn't even win the, the tournament. The point is is yeah. that, you know, is he going to be just 205 Live? Is he going to be used on NXT? They brought him in as the original general manager of 205 Live, then if they were sharing him as the baby face, the baby face general manager on 205 Live, then on Raw, he's out wearing camo and uh, gear with the AOP. Then he shifts from being with the AOP to chasing the 24-7 title for six months to Mm -hmm. then having this storyline. So he really, like you said, he hasn't ever had anything really in his favor. And now what? The, 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 The magic is gone. The magic, in, in the end, they're, they're, the only thing you get is you get the feel-good moment out of the end of it with him signing that contract to end that show. When is the next time you think you're going to see him on that NXT show? No idea. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's my point. So um, it's, it's really weird that they did that. Feel-good story. That's what WWE is all about. But I, I just wasn't a fan of... Of, of how they did that. Not to mention the exact same night the reports came out that they were starting to offer back contracts to some people, but at a reduced rate. So I had put on, on Twitter and some people were a little critical and I was like, oh, I guess good for him. I have nothing against Drake Maverick. I, I found him entertaining no. and anything he did, he knocked it out of the park with every situation he was put in. But the problem is, is like, all right, so you get fired. Then they give you this opportunity to wrestle a couple matches. People fall in love with you. They feel bad for you, so they offer you another contract, and you're going to take it and come back at less money? Wow. Super fucking douchey move on their part. And that was kind of where uh, my my distaste for the whole situation was. Yeah, and it, I mean, it goes, it's the same week as, did you see the Zack Ryder uh, story? Yes, I did. The, the, the pool. Yeah. Yeah, so apparently WWE asked Chelsea Green if they could use, which I, I, at this one I'm assuming, I think it's Zack Ryder's house. Like, yeah, it's I think a, he bought that before he started dating Chelsea. Correct. So, like, yes. asked her if they could use Zack Ryder's role after they just fucking fired the guy. Like, yeah. are you kidding which, me? Which I, I, a week after he got fired, they aired, and they had to have taped it prior. Um, a week after he had gotten fired on NXT TV, there was a shot that they'd done at the pool is a vignette with Chelsea and Robert stone. And just from, ah, okay. just from following a lot of stuff with Zack Ryder, I was like, that's Zack Ryder's pool. Like, I just know that, that area. So I'm yeah. like, that's kind of weird. Cause he just got fired a week ago. But then when he told that story this week, uh, about them wanting to shoot the Mandy Otis thing that aired last week on TV, they're like, yeah, it's crazy that apparently Zack Ryder is the only person in the entire state of Florida that owns a pool. So they have to shoot everything there. It's crazy. Um, so, <laughs> You know, they, they didn't end up doing that, but it, it's it's still like the gall of them to, to do that. It's pretty yeah. fucked up. Like, I would hope, I would hope to save their asses on this, that it, he's one of the ones that was offered a contract to. I know it's a reduced rate and stuff, but at least it would make them, it would make them a little less of a dick. I think he's 
I think he's more than AEW bound, if you ask me. Hmm. So that's uh, that. We'll eventually get to that in the next couple of weeks. Joe, <laughs> we uh, have gone super long on this show. Uh, we still are going to discuss the week that was in, in pro wrestling uh, after uh, we're done this conversation. Uh, but once again, plug your stuff, Joe. Yeah, uh, so I am a co-host of the Super Smart Brothers Pro Wrestling Podcast with uh, my good friend Michael Newman, uh, who is the rogue of wrestling, as he calls himself. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, yeah, all those places, Stitcher, things like that. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. At at Smart Brothers on the Twitter machine. I knew that because I had to find yep. that earlier uh, when I was sending out tweets. Joe, it's always a... Uh, a privilege to have you on this show make sure you go check out the super smart brothers pro wrestling podcast uh next week for backlash i will be joined by yep the pod daddy dan and we will discuss backlash with you uh when we return we will talk about the week that was in uh, pro wrestling on all the other fun shows that happen this is power bombs and potables all right so we start off this week of course monday nights every week with uh, Monday Night Raw. Not there was not a lot of things to talk about on uh, this program as well as uh, Impact, but there's a lot of meat on the bones for some of the other shows. But we'll quick run through some of the stuff here on Monday Night Raw. The show starts off with Seth Rollins in the ring. Uh, he comes out and cuts a promo and basically once again goes into saying that Rey Mysterio's career is over. And that he uh, will be the person that would be glad to induct him into the Hall of Fame when his time comes. Of course, this uh, calls for Aleister Black to come out. And this leads to a match between Aleister Black and Seth Rollins. Of course, he's got his disciples, Austin Theory and Murphy, ringside for this. So, of course, you know that they're going to uh, get involved with it. Uh, in the end, uh, Aleister Black wins with, yeah, you guessed it, a roll-up. To win this match, so keeping two people strong, nobody can can uh, can get pinned is the, the the seeming to be the way that they've been going with things here on uh, WWE programming. Uh, up next, Apollo Cruz comes out and he says that he's going to be basically reinstating the U.S. Open Challenge, but tonight he has handpicked his own opponent, and that opponent he says feels that he is. You know, more worthy than anybody else, and that is Kevin Owens. And Kevin Owens comes out and basically feels that, you know, he's basically doing it out of pity for Kevin Owens. But no, he, uh, you know, said that he was doing it out of respect here. So we get a match here with uh, Kevin Owens still selling his knee uh, against Apollo Crews for the U.S. Championship. And uh, this match was... <sighs> Not the best match. Uh, I feel that Apollo Crews has been having some great matches with Andrade as of recent, but this was not one of those uh, classic standout matches. Uh, in the end here, uh, Cruz hits a near fall, um, and Owens answered the two count, and then eventually uh, hits the senton. Cruz still gets out of it. Uh, but Angel Garza and Andrade, of course, rush to the ring. Cause the double disqualification, and that's uh, where we get a tag team match, as you'd assume, with Kevin Owens and Apollo Crews versus Andrade and Angel Garza. Uh, this match was not long at all, uh, but in the end, Kevin Owens 
and Apollo Crews get the win after uh, uh, Apollo Crews hits a, a powerbomb on Angel Garza. I'm okay with it, but again, it's just them putting out content for the sake of content. And you start with the, it's the classic WWE move that they love to do. Let's take a singles match and then turn it into a tag team match because then we can get three or four segments out of something that should have only taken two. Um, I'm not going to get into this whole bowling thing. It's been really, really bad. Um, here's something that I kind of find interesting here. So the Iconics, after losing their tag title shot a couple weeks back, uh, now find themselves kind of back almost in the tag team title picture with Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss. So basically what ended up happening this week is we get a match between Billy Kay and Nikki Cross where, well, Billy Kay wins. So you'd think that now they're finally getting the one up on the champions and they're going to get another title shot. But then on Friday on SmackDown, we have a title change. More on that once we get to SmackDown to see how they're going to actually work that. Um, we get a pretty good promo from Rey Mysterio in his uh, home gym. Uh, I couldn't stop staring at the classic Rey Mysterio Monday Nitro poster that was front and center behind Rey and his son Dominic as they cut this promo. I thought it was just a really cool piece of memorabilia, and I'd like to have it myself. Um, but basically, this ends with uh, Dominic at the screen looking at it and telling Seth Rollins, you're a man of scripture, and says, an eye for an eye. So we're, we're going to see, I'm assuming, eventually Dominic in this ring. Something tells me that he's going to turn on Ray and become a disciple of Seth Rollins. I don't know how I feel about that. I really, I really don't. Uh, so this next match was what people were talking about going into it, because obviously this Raw was taped last week. It's a match between Nia Jax and Carrie Sane. The clip had been cut out of TV, but what happened was Carrie Sane got thrown into the steps. A lot of people are saying that this was Carrie Sane's fault and not Nia Jax the way that she took it. Uh, her head cracked on the stairs and she was busted open. And they rolled her in and pretty much finished the match that way. But all you saw on TV was she got thrown into the steps and two seconds later was rolled back into the ring. Not all the attention that she had outside of the ring uh, that they had done. Which, at this point, I kind of feel is foolish. It was all over the internet and even pictures. So you knew that it happened. Right after it aired, Carrie Sane posted the picture of the, uh, of the cut on her head, which you never saw blood on the TV. So... I don't get why they felt the need to move that out. You may have been able to clean it up a little bit, uh, time-wise, make it shorter, but you didn't need to cut the whole thing out. I felt that that was just kind of pointless, and then, once again, trying to create their own narrative, which is just ridiculous. Um, there's another Randy Orton promo here as we get closer and closer to the quote-unquote greatest wrestling match ever. Uh, against Edge coming up next Sunday at Backlash. We will be, of course, watching that and recapping that as well like we do with all of the big pay-per-view events. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're losing me. They're losing me a lot with, with these promos. Uh, we just need to get to the match at this point, and then we need to spin Edge off to someone else. Um, 
the problem here is essentially I don't know who you put I don't know who you put either of these guys with at after this. Who do you put Edge against? Who do you put Randy Orton against? Because Orton's now basically a heel. Do you maybe put him with Drew McIntyre? That's for for as great of a wrestler as Randy Orton is, I think a lot of people are just kind of over Randy Orton at this point. He's done it all, realistically. And I feel that he would do better. He'd do better being able to go somewhere else and have different feuds. But, you know, he just signed a brand new contract, though. He's not going anywhere for the foreseeable future. Um, we get Asuka versus Charlotte Flair in a champion versus champion match on Raw here. And this was, you know, pretty hard fought. These two did everything that they normally do, getting all their shit in. And just as we get into the end, Asuka's music hits, although she's already in the ring. And it's Nia Jax coming out with her face painted like Asuka and the Asuka mask on. And Asuka runs to the, to the ramp to meet her. And they start brawling out there and... Asuka gets counted out. Really, really weird finish, but I kind of think I would rather have had the uh, the count out here than another roll-up for a win. The main event of the show was Drew McIntyre versus MVP. Bobby Lashley uh, was ringside for this uh, earlier in the night. They told Lana once again they didn't want her at ringside. But Lana immediately came out at the beginning and was playing uh, the distractor. Now, in the end here, Lashley, um, you know, of course, after the win, McIntyre hits a Claymore to beat MVP. But afterwards, Lashley applied a full Nelson uh, pretty much till they faded to black on this show. Nice little touch. Um, very cinematic, the way that they had shot it with a... There was a guy right in the ring that was right underneath of him, looking right up at uh, McIntyre, just helpless, essentially, in this move. So it was a nice touch, but this whole episode was just, if you're going to give it on a, you know, 1 to 10, this was probably about a 2 of a show. It's another situation where they've peaked where they need to in their buildups, but they still have TV to produce so I'm sure that tomorrow night's Raw, or tonight, whenever you're listening to this, we're recording this Sunday, um, is, is just going to be horrific. Uh, because we've already hit so many of these peaks going into this show. Tuesday night, Impact Wrestling. Uh, not a lot really coming out of this show. I think next week is going to really start to pick things back up for the Impact Wrestling brand. Um, this show didn't have a lot of stuff on it. Kylie Ray and Susie defeated Kira Hogan and Tasha Steeles. It it was a good match, great opener to the show. Uh, but again, nothing to to really call um, home about uh, with with this match here. Uh, Joseph P. Ryan. I've been going out of my way every week that he's on to stop and watch these matches. Um, now that he's not Joey Ryan anymore and he's taking himself more serious, just to see uh, what he does. He did a lot of bumping in this match. He wrestled uh, Crazy Steve, who he ended up defeating. He was accompanied to the ring by Dave and Jake Crist, uh, the other two members of OVE. After the match, Joey Ryan, I mean, Joseph P. Ryan, 
He cuts a promo and basically has the one Chris brother, Jake Chris, turn on his brother Dave uh, if he wanted to be a part of cancel culture, which he does with a roundhouse kick and leaves his brother laying there. So now we've split up OBE. We, we had four members. Sammy Callahan went out on his own. Then you had Man Man Fulton leave Jake and Dave Christ. Now you have two brothers here, and you turn one on the other. So I'm kind of curious as to where they go with that going forward. Rohit Raju defeated Chase Stevens. Yes, Chase Stevens, who, God, I don't think he's been on TNA or Impact Wrestling in and in a match in well over 10 years. Back in the Asylum days, in the early Impact days, he was a tag team with a guy named Andy Douglas. They were called the Naturals, and I believe they were two or three-time TNA World Tag Team Champions. And this guy still looked great. Uh, he comes out here, has a match the best that he could with Rohit Raju. And, uh, of course, as you'd imagine, you're pushing your your young guy. Rohit Raju went over here. But Chase Stevens looked great. I'm assuming maybe they're going to start bringing him back to do more work in the future. Uh, we'll see there. Um, the last two things that I want to speak about here with this is Ace Austin was supposed to take on Trey of the Rascals after last week when he had that crazy half-hour-long match with Michael Elgin and pulled out the victory. Here's your number one contenders, your your finals in your number one contenders match, actually. And it's supposed to be Ace Austin versus Trey. Well, someone attacks Trey backstage. And another member of the Rascals, uh, Wentz, comes out. Scott Demore comes out and basically says, all right, well, we have a match. And they have a match that really wasn't great. Uh, Ace Austin wins this, as I would have assumed. So now we're going to get Ace Austin as the number one contender for the Impact World title. The biggest problem here is Tessa Blanchard is still in Mexico. So I'm assuming, I believe they said this week they're going to get a state of the title picture, which makes me think that they're giving up on her and they're just going to take the belt from Tessa Blanchard and then maybe do a match. See, it makes no sense. I'm, I'm thinking about this out loud. So do you go with Moose and Ace Austin? That doesn't really seem too, you know, tempting to me, especially being that both of them are the, you know, two of the, three top heels in the company. So I think that they're going to maybe come up with something better. I will also say I miss Don Callis on the announce team because Madison rain and Josh Matthews are just their oil and water together. It's, it's just not a good combination after the show airs, they air their first ad for Slammiversary coming up in July. And it features so many of the recent, WWE firings and people who have had prior uh, runs in the company, everyone from Carl Anderson to Gallows to Brian Myers to Rockstar Spud to EC3 to uh, Eric Young and basically make it seem like some of these guys are coming in because that is the weekend that the 90-day no-compete clause expires for them. So we'll see who they actually bring in. Definitely needing more 
more value on that brand and maybe some familiar faces that have credibility and can add it to the product is definitely what Impact Wrestling needs right now. Wednesday night, AEW Dynamite starts off uh, the week and how we review things. And this show starts off with the AEW World Tag Team titles. Kenny Omega, Hangman Page defending the titles for the first time in over three months. Uh, versus Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc. What can I say? I uh, I don't like <laughs> Jimmy Havoc. I don't like uh, much of what Kip Sabian has done. He has not anything to really impress me. But this match, I gotta say, it wasn't horrible. Uh, Jim Ross and Excalibur did a lot. And I mean a lot to put over Jimmy Havoc and basically say how he's a 15-year veteran and how he just chooses to have this more of a brawling style. Even with the brawling style, he doesn't psychologically, he doesn't have good matches and can't put them together. So that's why I still give no fucks about anything that Jimmy Havoc does. So here we have a match where um, basically... You know, the, the the finish comes. We'll just get to this. Uh, Havoc sends Page into a guardrail. Uh, Sabian catches Omega with a spinning DDT. Uh, and then the diving double stomp. Uh, and then Sing the Sorrow from Jimmy Havoc. Almost did the job, but there's no way that they were winning these titles. We knew that. Hangman Page makes a save there. Uh, and then Hangman hits the last call on Havoc. And they retain the uh, the titles here. Uh, I'm, I'm very okay with that. I'm uh, excited for now that we have these titles uh, back on TV every week. Are we going to eventually move to the way it seemed before where we we're going to get the Hangman split? I feel that too much time has gone on and Hangman has become too beloved to do the turn at this point. So they're going to have to come up with something different. I'm throwing it out there. Turn Kenny Omega heel. Do something else with him because realistically, this guy has just, he came off of that couple year run where he was the hottest thing going and he hasn't really done much of anything to set the world on fire. Give him a reset. Everybody says the hottest baby faces are when you turn them when they're the hottest as a heel. So turn him heel, let him rebuild as a heel turn him back babyface, and then maybe you can get the star that everybody was assuming you were going to get. Brian Cage has another squash match. Afterwards, you get another Taz promo. Really going uh, forward with the beat him if he can, survive if he lets you. At this point, Mox hits the ring, and then Mox has a pretty much uh, cuts a promo right in the face of Taz, and uh, we know that Fighter Fest is now happening. It's happening on a two-night event on TNT. Now, they have yet to correct this or say what's happening, but it was announced that it's going to be two nights, July 1st, July 8th, live on TNT. That's cool. It says that they're airing at 10 p.m. live. So I'm wondering if they're going to fix that or if maybe some crazy way they're going to have taped episodes of Dynamite from 8 to 10, and then do 10 to midnight, it just makes no sense. So I think that they'll correct that this week. But that's going to be our main event of that show. We are going to see um, Brian Cage going for the AEW world title 
against John Moxley. Up next, Chris Jericho versus Colt Cabana. I was a, a big fan of this match. These two had, you know, for being the veteran, you know, Jericho is in just playing his his greatest hits. And as a heel, he can get away with that, doing a lot of taunting and doing the things that people, you know, come to expect from Jericho on a weekly basis here. Uh, eventually, uh, what ends up happening here is, oh, sorry, must I mention that ringside, we get the best friends in Orange Cassidy, who they have announced are the number one contenders for the world tag team titles. They will be facing Hangman Page and Kenny Omega for the titles at Fighter Fest. <sighs> we'll see how that goes. Uh, but for this match, in the end, Jericho ends up winning, which leads to another backstage segment with Colt Cabana, where he gets approached by Brody Lee. And I talked about this last week. I talked about how I feel it would be great for the character of Colt Cabana to go heel as well. He's done it before. Get rid of the comedy and go serious and just be a pro wrestler. He did it in Ring of Honor in the last couple of years. He could do it very well here again. Um, and it would it would be well. I think it would be tremendous here. Um, Big Swole and Nyla Rose, Rose had a match. This really was just a way to get Britt Baker on TV, who they do another vignette uh, of her trying to rehab her knee. It was great. I love everything they do with her. Highlight of the show, Tony Schiavone interviews FTR. And uh, it ends up being where they don't put anybody over uh, except for themselves. I love it. They basically addressed the Young Bucks uh, and the frustration they felt regarding the accolades that the Bucks get, saying, I don't want to have the match of the year with them. I want to punch them in the face, is what Cash Wheeler says in this interview. It ends up with a uh, Butcher and Blade coming down from the stairwell and them telling them, hey, hey, this is just business. What happened last week, and it wasn't personal, but what's going to happen is, is this week on Dynamite, we will get the debut of FTR on the on the show and they will be taking on the butcher and the blade and i think that's going to be a great match between the technically sound pro wrestling tag team of of the ftr now and the butcher and the blade i don't know i don't know i feel that the butcher and the blade are going to probably have their best match in uh aew so far the main event of the show was jungle boy versus cody for the tnt championship this match was excellent. Uh, Cody was obviously very aggressive to Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy is smaller than him, so he's got to he's got to use the size and the strength that he has. Where Jungle Boy has the speed uh, on Cody. Not saying that Cody's not fast, but that's where the uh, the story would be here. In the first uh, TV title, uh, TNT title defense, um, the these two went all over the place. Um, MJF was ringside, and uh, Jungle Boy uh, somehow threw Cody into the uh, bottom of the stage, I guess it was, and then they cut off, and then it looks like Cody did a little blade to get the color that he needed uh, for the second part of this match in the ring. Jungle Boy just could not put him away. Uh, eventually, he hits the crossroads for the win here. Excellent match. These two guys uh, embraced afterwards. And so they have actually announced that 
after that defense, this coming week, Cody will be defending the TNT Championship against Mark Quinn of Private Party, who he says that he hasn't had a singles match in, I believe, over three years. So that will be interesting uh, as well. Also on this week's episode of Dynamite that's going to be coming up, Best Friends and Orange Cassidy versus Jake Hager and Santana and Ortiz, uh, as well as Chris Jericho will be on commentary this week. They're advertising. Colt Cabana versus Sammy Guevara has also been announced as well. So this week, I think it'll be uh, all hands on deck for AEW Dynamite. We'll see what uh, they have in store. All right, so the final thing we're going to talk about this week was Friday Night SmackDown. So the show starts with Jeff Hardy. He comes out to the ring, and he talks about how, you know, he works so hard for to keep his sobriety. Now, let's take another step back. Last week on this show, we talked about how classless it was on the WWE's part to have him go out and make it seem like he was part of of a story where he broke his sobriety and was drunk on the scene. Obviously we knew that this was going to eventually get to saying that he was set up. Got that on backstage Tuesday night, which I happen to watch backstage in my opinion is one of the best WWE shows. And there's only about 50,000 people that watch that show every week. But if I could only watch one WWE show a week, I'd watch backstage. I find it highly entertaining, especially when CM Punk's on there, because Punk just doesn't give a shit, so he's going to say what's on his mind, which is the ratings always go up when he's on. Uh, but they talk to Booker T and Christian and CM Punk, Renee Young does, and says, and she leads with, Jeff Hardy was asked and he was okay with, the, with going through with this. I don't fucking care. It still does not make it not as classless, does not make it any less distasteful than it was the way that they went about this. So we get here on SmackDown, and Jeff goes on to say how he was questioned by the police, and you know he, was, he got out of his car, and then he remembers just waking up in a bush, being handcuffed, and smelling of booze, and the... The flesh of his skin was being torn away by the handcuffs. But then they went on and they checked his sobriety and he was clear. And that the reports came out that the person who hit Elias with the vehicle had red hair and a red beard. So obviously it was Seamus. So. You come up with a horrible idea. Just to get through TV one week. I guess for maybe get people to, to tune in and want to keep watching that don't watch on a regular basis. But no, don't take into consideration the, the fact that one of your top stars for the last 20 years has had so many issues with drugs and alcohol. And you're going to make a storyline of it just so that the next week you can pin it on somebody else. Which is still the direction that everybody knew it was going to go. Horrible. I hated it. This, uh, yeah, this wasn't good at all. And I believe these two are going to now have a match this coming week at Backlash. Fucking who cares? Otis Baron Corbin. Before the match, Otis steals Baron Corbin's crown. So that's the premise. He's all mad because he's got his crown. Uh, in the end, uh, the match didn't even have, have, a, have a finish. 
So this uh, ends up with a disqualification, and uh, Otis gets a caterpillar afterwards. It was a, a waste of time. Lacey Evans, Sonya Deville. Every week I've been praising Lacey Evans. Girl's an athlete. She That, that impressive middle to the rope to the top rope reversal moonsault always looks like a million bucks. Sonya Deville has just been turning it up and having great aggressive matches herself. Um, and these two have you know now gone out here two weeks in a row. Uh, this time... Sonya gets distracted on the screen by Mandy Rose. She turns around, does a blind feed to Lacey, uh, who hits the women's right for the win. Okay match, but I really am a fan of both of these two. Um, AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan have a face-to-face in the ring. Basically, Styles is sitting here saying that, you know, he's not a coward. He took the smart way out by taking the bye into the finals of the Intercontinental title tournament. While Daniel Bryan wants to go down as being a fighting champion. AJ says that he's going to go outside of his box and show that he's not a coward, and he's going to take on Drew Gulak tonight in a match. So we end up getting that match uh, here, where in the end, uh, Gulak wins. He reverses the Styles Clash uh, and gets the the pin. He stacked up uh, AJ to win the match. So then you're going to have going into this uh, title match with AJ and Bryan for the the title. I believe that's happening at Backlash. I don't have the Backlash card in front of me, and I didn't take note of that to see that. But it's either happening this Friday on SmackDown or at Backlash. Makes sense to happen at Backlash. Um, But I think that those two, Brian Styles, obviously, will tear the house down. Um, New Day and Chad Gable versus Shinsuke Nakamura, Cesaro, and Mojo Rawley. Mojo Rawley back on TV this week. Ay, ay, ay. Big E and uh, Kofi hit the big ending uh, on Rawley. And that's uh, that. I miss Chad Gable being Chad Gable, and I will say that every day till I'm blue in the face. Shorty G is just a, such a horrible name for this guy who looks like a million bucks and wrestles and is just entertaining to watch. Now, the main event of this show, Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross, the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions defending against Sasha Banks and Bayley. And these two had a, a, a great match. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, Alexa Bliss... Uh, still a lot of the match on the apron. Nikki Cross uh, did a lot of the beatdown for this. In the end of this match, they did a spot where they're already teasing the dissension. Well, they've been teasing the dissension for, for months of Sasha and Bailey, where Bailey gets the bank statement on Nikki Cross and Bailey tags herself in and then pushes Sasha off and tries to get a pin, which doesn't work out for her. Then Sasha tags herself back in, gets the bank statement back on to Nikki Cross. At this point, Bailey has to um, stop Alexa Bliss from coming in the ring, which then elect, um, Nikki Cross rolls out of the bank statement into a two count 
to then Sasha rehooks her into a butterfly pin and Bailey and Sasha Banks win the tag team titles. I'm a fan of this. Um, now, because Bailey has, you know, two belts, but this is going to be the breakup of these two when they drop these tag team titles. SummerSlam's coming up. I'm assuming that that's where you're, you're going to get that happening. So they'll probably get through another month or two. I'm assuming that being that you already have started to build up Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, that they once again try and have Billy Kay and Peyton Royce take the, the titles from them again like they did uh, back at WrestleMania 35. But who knows? Uh, I, I'm a fan of the, the possibilities of what they're going to do with that. I like that they could, I guess, use the, the, the titles as a means to break them up and then have it be in the end that it's only down to a match for the SmackDown women's title. Again, in the end of the day, who's going to be the babyface? Who's going to be the heel? Uh, we don't know. I'd assume, I would assume that you're, you'd get the, uh, at this point, the Sasha Banks babyface turn, but I'm not really a fan of that. Well, once again, I appreciate everybody for checking us out this week on Power Bombs and Potables. Um, of course, every single week, make sure to subscribe to all of the Podcast Potables Network's uh, shows. Of course, our flagship Process Potables with Dan and Steve, Popcorn and Potables with Mike and Mary, dropping movie podcasts every uh, other week and bonus podcasts during uh, those off weeks. We uh, have also started Pucks and Potables back up again uh, with Mason and uh, Mike, I believe his name is. Uh, we're going to be dropping a new episode of that very, very soon as hockey is, is coming back. And then we started a pilot this week called Power Ups and Potables. It is a video game and beer podcast. So a lot of content we're putting out here on the Podcast Potables Network. Please join us. Tell your friends about it because maybe you're not into one thing, but you're into another. There's so There's a little bit for everybody and we're consistently finding a way to grow this network. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you next Sunday when we recap Backlash as well as the week that was in professional wrestling and news. Until then, stay safe and stay over. Stay over.